So I learned English and then went back to Nairobi, the capital city, to work with refugees because the war had broken out from Somalia and we needed to help the Somali refugees. So I started teaching classes of Somali, learning English, and also another time I spent time teaching Somali to missionaries. Now it is at that time I realized if you are going to work in communities long term, relationship is fast. Okay? You have to invest time in relationship. Those who are here in the last session, uh, Matt Rigard was talking about it. This current generation of millennials are only interested in relationships. If you focus on anything else, you lose them. And you'll find that when you're trying to do cross-cultural ministry, you have to upgrade your relationship skills. So after 10 years about Somalis, like I said, we took a break, worked at children's home. I picked up skills in administration. I didn't know anything administration while I was among Somalis. She picked us some more skills in administration. And then those skills helped us when you reached Ghana to set up an organization. Because now we had to have a team to train a team to reach out to the Ghanaians in the north without doing the work ourselves. So basically, we're going to share how did we set up the work in Ghana, specifically clinics, how did they run, what were their challenges, and what can we learn. Okay. This time I think I'll be more, a bit more detailed, and then she'll come and help me because... Uh, last time I was here sharing these, people were asking questions, and we didn't have time to deal with it. So when we went to Ghana, when we go to a community to empower churches, it's the same goal to reach their rich people groups. The first 10 years we were doing ourselves, this season, we decided to empower believers in that community who speak that language to do it. Not because it's much easier, because I believe it's a better strategy. So if you are here, you are thinking of long-term missions or going short-term missions, one of the things you can do is to learn skills, to share your skills with other people. Because all across uh, Africa or Asia, you find that the church is growing very fast. We have people who have access to rich people groups. If we take time to empower them, they'll be able to reach their own people. Before we went to Ghana, I, I, went, to go, I went back to Somalis in 2005. But this time, I worked with an organization where I developed a strategy how to get Somali believers, churches that work with Somalis, or Kenyans that work with Somalis, and train them to reach them. So we went to Djibouti. We tracked down Somali believers secretly. We trained them secretly. After seven days, we left, and they set up a ministry to reach the people in Djibouti up to today. The government doesn't know they are Christians. Okay? Because in that country, you are not allowed to Talk about your religion. Everybody is a Muslim. But they found a role, even them as believers, to help their own people. So they run a school, and they have a ministry to reach prostitutes from Ethiopia. And the way we train them is, they have to sustain the ministry when you are out. So you have to tell them that you are not coming to stay. So we told them, we are training you and getting out. We will be helping you, but we are not staying in your country. After that, I did that in Somaliland. And then I did in South Sudan, in North Sudan, in Nairobi, and then Kisumu, those who know Kenya. Doing the same strategy, help a church to have structures to reach out. Uh, churches in poor communities, normally you'll find they suffer from inferiority complex. They think we don't have the resources of the bigger churches to reach our own people. Our goal is to tell them that you as a local church, the Lord can use you to fulfill the Great Commission. God has not delegated the Great Commission to some people. All of us are supposed to be involved. So during this time, 
as we were learning to do this in Kenya, when we reached Gala, the first thing we do is we envision churches. We share with them two things. That number one, you can carry out the Great Commission. Number two, you can demonstrate God's love. Number three, you can, demonst- you can disciple your own people. Now normally they'll ask you, how does it happen? This is a church maybe of 15 people, 10 people, or 100 people. But their village, in Ghana, northern Ghana, most of the villages, they're surrounded by Muslims. There's only one local church and maybe three mosques. So they have this pressure. How are we going to do it? The pastors that come for this envisioning, if they accept, they choose five people who we promise to train over three years to reach out their own people. So we, we start putting in commitment. If you don't bring the five people, we know you're not interested. So we eliminate you. <laughs> and we don't beg you. Okay? We always believe the Lord prepares the right hearts to accept that. So we don't want to go inviting all churches. It doesn't work. Because first of all, we are foreigners. They don't trust us. They think we came to pick some things from Ghana or whoever. Maybe you're an American. You came here to benefit. There are all those dynamics playing their mind. Why are you coming to do this in our community? So we tell them, look, if you're interested, give us five people. We will train them. The first training we do is for ten days, where we teach them holistic ministry. That means, what does it mean to obey the Great Commission? What did Jesus mean when he said, go and make disciples for all nations? What are the steps involved? What will it take for a local church to do that in your village? Because most, many people we realized, although we are disciples, uh, we have gone to school, very few people have taken the practical steps to do it. Okay? And then the second portion of training, we tell them, how does it mean to demonstrate love? We, we use a lesson that we call uh, Luke 2.52. You can check in the Bible. That Jesus grew spiritually, physically, emotionally, in favor with God, in favor with men. Four areas. What does it mean to demonstrate that in our community? In our community, there are people who have for those, those four needs. How will we meet education needs, mental needs? How will we meet the social needs? People have to have good relationships. How will we meet the spiritual needs? How will we meet the physical needs? We believe that the church is fully responsible of transforming the world, not our governments. And for some Christians, that is difficult. But if you look at Ephesians 20, 320 is a scripture like the Bible says God will bring glory to himself through the church not through the government so we tell them you are a small church but you have to do these things and then the second training we do is discipleship where we try to tell them that you, it's, you, you cannot follow or serve the Lord without knowing how to follow him okay? you have to learn to follow the Lord as a Christian individually and then learn to minister. Then after that, during the training, they do, we do evaluation. It's a 10-day training, training. So we do 54 lessons. We teach them project management skills. No, not detailed, but things they can do. How to plan. And we use the Bible, everything. We don't teach anything outside the Bible. Because it's difficult in a community where there are no books, no libraries. You can't give them a reference. So we go to the Bible and tell them how did Jesus plan. Jesus taught, uh, taught about making budgets. Jesus said, if you want to build a house, sit down and count the cost. Actually, he said, sit down and write down your budget before you do it. So we tell them the parables of Jesus, to me, are not those stories to get spiritual lessons. They were real things that were happening in his culture. Jesus built houses as a carpenter. So 
can we learn from here how to, how to plan? Because in the, the challenge in Africa, we don't plan. Is it true? You guys plan too much and leave no room for God. As we leave a lot of room for God and we don't plan. So we tell people you have to balance. You write down your plans. There's goal setting. The Bible talks about goals. Okay, God says he has a plan of salvation. I know the plans I have for you. So we break it down and say, okay, God has this bigger goal to reach people in our community or the nations. What are these plans? How are we going to do it? And then there's the scriptures that talk about the steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. In the Bible, in project management, we call that activities. Those are things you take to reach your goal. So once you break it down, they know how to do it. There's a lesson they'll do step planning. They will plan a project to do in their community without support from anyone. We don't give them a single coin. We tell them, think of any need in the community, whether spiritual, physical, emotional, they are going to meet in one or two days. If they do it, they have understood our training, because we don't have exams. If they fail to do it, they fail the training. We have to repeat it. So some of them, like a good example, in Kenya, a pastor decided in a slum to provide free water to the poor people for one day at his own cost. Another pastor said, I'll feed the kids for free with my own money for one day. And the moment in Kibera, if you go to that ministry, you work with the other school. Because people are so happy they gave him more food to keep the kids in church. Another pastor said, okay, in Tamale, in Ghana, we'll go and clean the hospital. There are a hospital, but the hospital was very dirty. <laughs> Can you imagine? That? This is a contradiction. A hospital is supposed to be a clean place. It has nurses, public health officers, but it's very dirty. So this pastor went to clean it as a project. Another said, I'll go clean, clean the school. What we are trying to teach them, you need to step out of your comfort zone and do something for the community. Don't even preach. You're just building relationships. Once they understood that, we know they've understood that lesson of reaching out. The second training or practical they do is they do spiritual mapping. They do a spiritual survey of their community. Where are the churches? Where are the churches preaching the true gospel and those who are preaching false doctrine? Where are the mosques? Where are the witch doctors? You draw them on a map. And it's interesting, every community we have done, they find out very interesting things they never knew. Okay? Sometimes you'll find that your neighbor... <laughs> He's a witch doctor. And every day he's going to witchcraft to make sure the church dies. Oh, there's a pastor who found out. Some people don't believe it's true. Does it work? It works. So we have, we teach them. Now when you find out this thing, learn to pray about it. Call upon the name of the Lord. Not to punish those people. (laughs) But to bless them and change their hearts. And confront them with the gospel. And then the third one is... uh, uh, Seed projects, spiritual mapping, they do a survey of a household. We give them a paper, go and interview a household, find out their needs. How many kids do they have? How many go to school? How many children are, uh, are not going to school? We discover something very interesting. Most pastors in their communities don't know their communities. And I can tell you the truth, even here it's the same. The police knows Louisville more than all of us combined. So we tell them, if you want to know the truth about your community, just become the friend of the policemen or the social workers. Because the needs they are facing are the needs the church needs to confront. Whether it's a poor community, a slum, it's the same problem. The church will deal with the same issue. The police, of course, will different, deal with it in a different way. Once they do those three practicals, they are ready for other trainings. 
So like in Ghana, we picked up, we did a survey in the original churches. They wanted clinics. These are ten churches, and, and one village to another is around five kilometers. So I have to, we have to go around visiting all of them to see, is the clinic viable? Because they want a clinic, and they run it? Because we will not run it. And we are not planning to employ nurses to run it. To tell them, if you are going to run this clinic, you have to give us volunteers. Do you have them? Do you have an empty church building? We can put up a community clinic two days per week, three days per week. So when we did the survey, we found out of the ten communities, only three could hold a, community, a clinic. So we picked six people from those clinics, and then we invited them for training, where doctors came in. We partnered with another organization, and I'll mention their names. Uh, we have Empower. Okay? They were the ones who came and trained our group. Then we work also with ITech, Teach Transform, uh, and Life in Abundance. Because all these ministries have a common theme. They are trying to empower people to run ministries when you get out. So I would really recommend, if you want more information, please go and see them. They will help you. Like if you are a doctor and ask you want to go on a short-term team with them, just to learn how to do it, you go with and they'll advise you. They'll train you. You can do it on your own later. Okay? But they really helped us. After five days of learning about dental ministry, we set up a, a community clinic where every twice per week people come to be checked their teeth, those who are about to extracted. These are people there to know English. That's a condition. We, get, we got permission from the government. We didn't want to operate government permission. And thirdly, they had to, they had to have the ability to share the gospel and to pray for each patient. So, when I'll be giving Pamela to share, she'll give you the details, because she was able to train them in that area. Then we taught them how to get medicine in-country, so that they don't have to import medicine. So, we have six, we started with three clinics, now we have six clinics in northern Ghana. They, they are self-sufficient, they order their own medicine, they get enough money to pay pocket money to all the volunteers. And they have used the clinics to plan churches. Because northern Ghana is places you can go where there are no churches. So we told them it's good to go and just show people God's love, treat them, pray for them, and ask permission whether you can plant a church or not. And I was there in July. After six years of challenging them, they started doing it. One pastor has planted 19 church plants. Okay? In near Tamale, those who have been to Ghana. Then if you go upper east, near the Burkina Faso border, there's a pastor also who has planted churches. So we saw this model works. The key part is make sure that you train them well. Not just train them to extract teeth. Train them where to get their medicine. Train them how to make a budget. We have a board that supervises them. The clinic is registered with the government. We had to make sure we arrange those things, all of them, before we left Ghana. And then when we went to Ghana, this is very important, we told them we are going to stay for three and a half years and we are leaving. Obviously they thought we were lying. You understand? Because they say, why should you go? We need you here. It's true, we need you here. But if I stay for long, will they ever learn? They will never learn. So we told them we are going to get out. So they, uh, after three years, we called a pastor's meeting. We said, we are going. It was very emotional. And then the worst part, or the good part, <laughs> we called our team. We have a Ghana team. We have trained that does all these things. We called them to the house, the compound. Uh, 
we had, uh, God had blessed us our vehicles to use for ministry. We told them, all these things will leave for you. But I need to carry my things to Accra to go back home. So we parked, and they realized, these guys are serious. They are going. <laughs> then they started crying. We told them we have to go. Of course, it was emotion to us. We also were crying. Because <laughs> our kids, they lived there. We left, stayed in Accra for six months, and then left for the home. When we were in Accra, one of the pastors, Pastor Mohammed, called Pamela and said, because they had gone for a medical camp for the first time without her. She, she called and says, now I understand why you came from Kenya. Now you can go. We will continue without you. This is the pastor who has planted 19 churches. This pastor gave us a lot of problems during the training. He would come to the clinic to pray for his patients in his village. He would not come. So one day God intervened. He saw a dream. <laughs> in this dream he saw a snake that came to beat him. In that culture, if a snake beats you, you are going to die. So he called prayer and fasting for other pastors to pray for him. He got well. From that time, he will fast. He will come to the clinic, preach, before he goes to his farm. You know why I like this story? God is serious. He will get your attention. Even he has to give you a dream. <laughs> yeah. Because who are we going to entrust this clinic? He's the pastor. We have trained his people, but he doesn't come to the clinic. So up to now, Pastor Muhammad is one of our best friends. Recently, I was in Ghana. His son is now a missionary with youth with a mission in Togo. And he told me, it all began with you people. So I want to encourage you. I don't know how you're planning to go in missions. God has called all of us to go. But how you go is very important. Hallelujah. How you go. Are you going to train people? Jesus trained people after three years. And one day he went to a mountain and told them bye-bye. When I read that scripture, I don't like it. But he was serious. He left. <laughs> the Bible says when they were looking up, hoping he would come back, angels told him he's not coming back. It's important for us Christians to follow the example of Christ. When we go to the field, be prepared to leave. When we left, we wanted to go back to Ghana and another area. Because of Ebola, the Kenya government told us you are not going back. For one year. We could not go back. So last February, last year, I went back and handed over everything. We were going to leave the north and work in Accra. But now the Lord told me, even Accra, you also leave. So we went back to Kenya. They continued the work. We have started some work in Burkina Faso. And us will be doing some work in Malawi and Mozambique, God willing. We try to partner with other organizations. Everything we use in our organization, clinics, schools, businesses, we partner with people who can do that. We rarely write a curriculum unless someone doesn't have it. Like the prayer counseling we have written ourselves. But the schools, we use literacy and evangelism materials. The ones who trained me in teaching English as a second language, when I reached Ghana, they told me, can you do the same and help the Ghanaians? I never knew that what they taught me when I was working with Somalis would be fruitful in Ghana. Out of teaching churches to start schools using their own church buildings, we have 12 schools with 1,500 children among the Somalis, uh, among the Muslims, run by the churches, we don't get involved. They share the gospel every weekend because the curriculum is Bible-based. So I always say, I could have gone to Ghana or she could have gone to Ghana and started a clinic. Or me, for me, I like teaching. Start one school. But it would all be one school after three and a half years. But because of training people, 
we have 12 schools. We have a Gadan friend who knows how to set up schools. He had set up a school for his own family. Now he has pocket money to take care of his family. His wife has resigned and she's running a school because she's gifted in Sunday school and she's a marketer by training. So we told her one day, why can't you start a school and combine the two? Where you love the children and bring parents to your school. And our school is growing. Whatever school skills you have, uh, God can use it. Now we use businessmen. Businessmen have come from USA to teach churches to do business. You would be amazed. People don't know how to calculate profit. Small scale businesses have no idea. So we tell people, even if it's journalism, you can come train people to tell stories. Whatever God has given you, if He's calling you to missions, ask Him, how do you want me to use it? So I want to stop there and allow questions, and Pamela will be coming up. We have 17 minutes. We can ask questions, and if you're a nurse or a doctor, you can ask the medical issues. I'm a project manager by training, so. I don't do the medical issues very well. Okay. Pam can just come. Okay. Uh-huh. Go ahead. So you said that, um, you know, they're running these things, the schools and clinics on their own, but do you, is there someone who comes back around like once a year to follow up and keep training going or if things become off track? Mm-hmm. Go ahead. You can use that. Okay. We keep track, uh, like we've been to London now this year twice. I've been to London twice, we've also been to London once, and also um, every night before, we are like, how many obstructions, any complications? So we are able to follow that. Like, if I feel there are more complications, then it will mean we are, we are losing the scale. If there are more patients coming back, then we are losing the skill. And then we have, like, they usually have the training, like when we see the power come, we have the power team come again in February. So what's Empower, the Empower team. So when they come, the original trained lay dentist will attend the training and then do the extraction as the team watches. So then they are able to correct any yeah, but it's always that for that. Any other questions? Any other questions? Okay. Okay, just a moment. You can go ahead. things I say, uh, after being missions for, as an African for many years, missions has changed, even for me. 
There are things I can't do. I, I cannot go to Sudan. Yet Sudan is our neighbor. They don't want Christians. So how are we going to help them? Just get Sudanese out, especially from the north, train them and send them back. And then visit them as a tourist. Honestly, I always believe God is using tourism. You can't get a visa for India. You cannot, if, unless you go as a tourist, you cannot go as a missionary. So short-term teams, we tell them, come in with a skill. Like every year they come, Empower will either send someone or Pamela will go and upgrade some of their skills. They no longer just do extractions. They have been trained to do vital signs. They can check her malaria, blood pressure, everything. Because sometimes you get patients in the clinic like high blood pressure. And one of the things we have found out, because the situation is so serious, we send them to hospital immediately. So our community workers have become what? Keep talking. Keep talking. Our community workers have become a defense system in the community to help them when there's an emergency. Remember in Ghana when we went, there was one dentist for two million people. That's why the government gave us permission to do it. They don't have people in the villages even to help people to give birth. Okay? But these guys, we keep on training them different things. Okay? I just wanted to mention handing over. Um, like you said, first when we were missionaries, we went to stay. We learned the language. And we stayed within the indigenous people. And so, like for 10 years, we didn't see any food among the Somalis. There were no believers, there were no disciples, there was no Somali church. And so we came out. And like, asking God, is this it? Is this all? You waste your life, you're staying there, and like no one is even listening to the gospel. And so now when we went back to Nairobi and got some more training, we felt like the Lord is telling us, I want to show you a better way. And he shows you a better way because his focus is further than what you can see. Times have changed. One minute you're in a place, the next minute there's violence. The first person to be evacuated from that place usually is the foreigner. It's never the national. Whether it is Syria, whether it's Kenya during our elections, whether it's Ghana during Ebola, the first person nations sent for their people. During the Ebola, Kenyan government sent the place to Egypt, Kenya. If it's a violent during election, America, you'll be evacuated. And what happened? And so that's why you find uh, the new direction the Lord is giving us. Go there, spend your life, pour yourself, empower people, and when the time comes for you to leave, you can look back and say the work is going on. These are just the dynamics. Uh, originally, we used to learn languages. Now, there's no need. By the time you're learning the language, it's good to learn it for your own purpose. You may find a local. God will give you a man of peace who can speak the language and may even be your interpreter. That's the point of passing. Again, we are finding the model of Jesus. You may look and you say, these people are not trained. They are not qualified. But let us also look at him being so purposeful in his disciples. In the book of Acts says they were unlearned. When the Pharisees, they knew these men are unlearned, but they noticed one thing. They had been with Jesus. And so it's like when these 
clinic people working in town. They may be unmanned, but they say, they were trained by that missionary. They were trained by the American missionary. And so even their well-being, they are spoken well of. Even if, they, even if they are running the kids, because you walk along them and you train them, you have left them a movement in the village. Yeah, and because of that, because of also you, the qualities that you bring in, you they will not perform a bad job. You've already elevated them. They would want to go to a position where their work will be derogatory. No, they will want to keep the good work that you started. And so it's just the ability to trust. The way you trust children until you go and supporting you fully. So also the missionaries, the people that you are training, you are telling them, I believe in you. You go, I'm, I'm behind you totally, you can do it. And so we are seeing, like, if we did this, the work will be faster. The work will be faster. We'll be able to do more than we are able to do. More, more than we are able to do as, as a team or as a one-person uh, one show. Uh, we went back to Ghana and and as I sat with a team that I'd met like three years ago, one girl came to me and to, she told me, I've been able to witness to my father. Her father was a believer and then he left the Lord and he went into so much awkward that he could come back. And it is his daughter who went back and brought him to the Lord. This girl, we had worked with her and done discipleship. I taught her how to do discipleship. She would listen to me when I do evangelism. And so I realized she did what I couldn't do. She was able to speak her father's language. She was able to use the relationship between father and daughter. And she was able to win her father back to the world. Another example is another Muslim background believer. She, uh, she came in and we walked with her. And now, right now, she's having Bible clubs. And the Bible, children's Bible clubs, something I wouldn't have done as a Kenyan. I would have looked for an interpreter. But she is doing it in the capital city of Accra. So again, the Lord caused us to be away so that she can flourish. And so what I think is, I've been able to stand away so that these people that God has given us may flourish in their calling and in their potential. Uh, it also empowers you to be moved to another place. Once you leave that place, remember God is your employer. He will not render you jobless. He has another assignment for you. So as soon as you leave, He's redeploying you for another place. Okay, is there, I just want to mention something. I think I saw the director of team expansion. Is it? Are you the one? Okay, well, I said we partner with many groups, okay? So, one of the things you, Pamela helped, she was trained by a missionary by team expansion to how to tell Bible stories. So, she went and trained these churches we work with how to do the same, you understand? So whenever they are reaching out, it doesn't mean they just do medical issues. No, 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 no. It's not about medicine. They share the gospel. They know how to tell a Bible story as they extract a teeth. They tell the gospel from the stories they learn. Because the organizations we partner with, some of them teach us discipleship. We are taught by Nigerian missionaries. The Nepal taught us dental work. Our team expansion taught our team how to do Bible stories. 
uh, because Ghana, Northern Ghana is an oral culture. And then we have, I take taught us how to make audio, video stories, and our team has started posting on the internet for the first time, because we have many stories of transformation, but we didn't know how to share it. The idea is, can we trust people at the local level to do what we can do? If your model cannot be trusted to poor people, is it biblical? Someone asked me many years ago when I was a young Christian, if you are teaching something in the Bible that a poor person cannot do, it's not from God. It's not. Because the gospel is for the poor. That means if it's a true transformation, it should work for them and God should lift up their lives. And then uh, I think last time people asked about uh, how do you fund this? Okay? Because people, someone asked me, so do you pay these guys salaries? We don't. We, the only component we give support is the Ghanaian training team. We, we, because there are our team members, they are supported monthly. But the church volunteers, they get money from the schools and from the clinics. The churches volunteer resources by giving us free training places. One of the conditions for, them, for us to train a church, you must give us a free venue. We will not hire a place to train your people. Because we saw United Nations doing it. Many NGOs do it. They take someone, take them to a nice hotel, pay all the bills and give you pocket money. There is no way they are going to practice what you are saying. You have to use what you have. So in our training, in business, we have a business training, which is a very powerful training. We have a lesson called, what do you have? We take you through the Bible, asking you what you have. Moses was asked by the Lord, what do you have? Elisha asked the widow, what do you have in your house? Elijah the prophet asked another widow, what do you have? Jesus asked the disciples, what do you have? Peter told people, such as I have, I give unto you. You only give what you have. So we, we break it down, spiritual, physical, emotionally. What do you have? Then we help you from there. Because we believe, we missions we teach, the whole church teaching, the, taking the whole gospel to the whole world. But I always say, the poor churches feel we can't do it. But with this model, you help them to play their role so that they reach out. Okay. Uh, we have three minutes. Any question? Okay. So in the schools and the clinics charge for the services, that's how they support the Yes, they charge. Yeah. And normally the pastors have to be involved in the decision how much it be charged. Yeah. In the village, they'll ask people how much you think our kids can pay. And the clinics, the same. This time they charge good money. Uh, in Ghana, if you charge $10, that is $2 per tooth. So they're able to cover all their costs. When we were there, they were not covering their costs. We had to help. But now, after six years, they cover their costs. Because whenever there's a challenge, we tell them, go talk to the pastors. Let them find out how much you should charge for next time. We don't charge, charge for the tooth. The Ghana government allows us to charge for medicine. So if they buy medicine from our clinic, we charge if, if you do vital science testing, the government allows to charge. So through that, they pull the money and help themselves. Okay, another person? Can you say a little bit more about the business training? What kind of businesses have people started? Are those sustaining themselves? And then is that what helps build the church financially to support it? Yes, when we went there, we, a pastor asked us to build a church. He told us, you know, you need to help us to pay our pastors. And build a church. I say we don't build churches and we don't pay pastors. 
I've been a missionary, so I know what I'm talking about. You understand? I have no, I've known places where people pay pastors and build churches. That is your church. I saw it in my own eyes. So when we reached, we tell them, look, we will teach you how to build a church. So we asked them, what do you have? They had carpenters. They had masons. Ghana has a lot of sand. Sand from the rivers. What they needed was cement. So we told them, okay, we'll teach you business how to do farming, not as a hobby, but as a business. Then people would tithe. Their groundhouse, their maize. They brought, I saw it in my own eyes, they brought the church. The pastor sold it and got money for the sermon, and the people volunteered to put up the building. At the moment, after three, three, four years working on the building, it's five, sitting 500 people in a village. Because they, they charge the people sitting outside every day. He, he, every time we go, we take another picture. Now he's putting the roof. Another pastor did the same, because they were inspired. Remember, we always tell people, we have the resources. And this, I say, we say from a clean heart, <coughs> It's not, we are not saying don't support people in Africa or Asia or Latin America. That's not an issue. How are you supporting them? Are you empowering them? Or are you giving them relief? If you are empowering them to be able to start their businesses, it will work. All our team members in Ghana, except the accountant, have a business now from our training. One has a radio ministry reaching 2 million Muslims. Because as a former Muslim, he knows the Quran. He knows the local language. He knows English. So in his radio program, he teaches in Arabic and English. But he supports himself. Okay? Another one started a school. Another one has, keeps pigs. And says, another one is starting business of raising guinea falls. So the idea is, the business opportunities are there, and they can do it. We have a team that went in last month to teach a group of churches. The, the illustration was how to make bread. They don't sell bread everywhere. That was the, the discussion. How do you do a business model and a business plan? And do you provide some initial funding? No. We used to, we stopped. And I, I told the pastors why we stopped. One day I found out the pastor's wives had been trained in business. And asked them, were you given money? Yes. What happened to the money? We ate it. We used it for school fees. I said, no, that's not good. You're not good Christians. So there are organizations that can do that. We don't do it because we don't feel it's, 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 it's going to work. What we encourage them is to do savings. So they form a group, they save their own money, and then from their own money they start lending each other. But when you just give them money, microfinance, microfinance, the interest is like 30%. There's no way their business is going to take off charging 30% interest by year. It would even work for me. Okay. So we told them, because of the interest involved in microfinance, don't go in debt. Just lend each other money. And when you use the concept, we use what you have. I always tell people, business is started not from money, but from ideas. God gives you an idea, then capital comes later. People think it's capital. It's not capital. Because, let me give an example. A lady wanted to start a business, then I went to her house. She had many dresses. You know, like dresses for naming ceremonies, funeral ceremonies. I told her, why can't you sell some of them? What do you have? You have all these 40 dresses. And you tell me you don't have money. The reason you are willing to confront them is because you have built a relationship. You can't come and tell them. Pamela can go and say, no, 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 sell, sell five dresses, get some hundred Ghana CDs, 
had such a business. I have a friend in Kenya who sold. She did. The friend in Kenya who sold his digital TV. <laughs> he had to convince his wife, of course. But he sold it and started a business selling phones. Can I help you? Luke 11, Jesus says a scripture. Those who say that they don't have, what they have should be taken away and give to those who already have. That's completely opposite what the world teaches. You are Jesus saying that scripture, you should never confess to God you don't have anything. It's dangerous. He will take away everything. So that's one of the reasons we teach it. What do you have? Don't tell God I'm a poor person I don't have. It's risky business. You have hands. You have... I mean, there are some business you can start without money. Honestly. I can come and wash clothes. Like Ghana, the girl Pamela is talking about, she helped us in the house for three years and we kept her pocket money. Then the other Ghanaian girl worked with her. This year she's going to college. She had to work. Okay. Any question? Okay. Because we had done this model uh, with another organization, LI Life in Abundance for five years, uh, I did in five countries, so we determined that's the time it takes to train someone and do follow-up and be a good example. So in Ghana, we did everything. We are the only trainers for one year. Then after two years, we brought in Ghanaians to train with us. Now, after we left, the Ghanaians train alone. You have to model it. It's important. If it's business, I was... Uh, the Lord has never allowed me to get involved in business. I've made a business ideas, but I'm not allowed to do it. But in Ghana, I was allowed. So I did agriculture business. I raised rice, and I sold it and gave to the poor because it was too much. But I showed them you can get land. Land is available. The idea is you have to model it. In three years, you can plan things to model. Pamela had to model the clinic. Pamela is very good in evangelism. That means any person who crosses her paths, <laughs> before you leave, you know the gospel. It just, that's her gift. So she trained them. Like uh, Naomi, the girl she's talking about, Sophia, they are evangelists today. You will not come to the house, they will not, talk, they will not fear to talk about the gospel. So you have to model it, time it over three years, and then leave. When you say you leave, please, even if things are breaking apart. When I reached Kenya, things were breaking apart. The car could not work. I told them, did you take it for repair? No. I trained you to take the car for repair every 5,000 kilometers. So I talked to the board members, the board members talked to them. This time the cars don't fail. You have to, you know, it's, it's, it's demanding training. I remember people say you're doing too much work. It's true. Because you have to lay the foundation and administration, logistics, planning, management, and put someone in charge. So in our team we have someone who does logistics. One is in charge of accounts. One does very good spiritual effort training. And then they work as a team. You, you, I had to become a jack of all trades, literally. Okay, I had to learn project management, which I'm trained to learn, teach them how. Now they, they handle short-term teams. I don't have to go. Me, she may go, but next day I told, I told her we are not going. Now they know everything now, especially the Savelugu Tamale group North. They know everything. We don't have to be involved. So you, you do that over three years. Okay. 
I would like us to pray because of time. Time is up. If you want to leave, you're fine. If you have questions, please come and see us. But before you leave, who has a birthday in November? You're born in November. Me, I was born November 27th. If you know you have a birthday in November, put up your hand. November? Okay, I'm giving you a free book. Okay. So there are four organizations I mentioned. So uh, ITEC gave me a book. This, the ITEC helped me to understand many things. Another group is Empower. They don't have a book, but they have a booth. And then another is Life in Number Dance, where I was there for five years. There's another book here, Spiritual Multiplication, the Principles of uh, Modeling It. And there's a new book called The Four Chairs by Dan Spedder. If you have read that book, it will teach you how to move people from one chair to the other one. Like our Ghanaian team is chair three. They are workers and they are multiplying themselves. They are no longer sitting in comfort zone. So I recommend those books, read and apply. So this is yours for free. Okay, she told me I can give that one out. No, no, no. So long as it's in November, it's fine. So God bless you. Another question. Anybody who's going for missions, you're planning to go long-term missions or a short-term mission, just put up your hand. Okay, I'll let Pamela pray for you that you'll act on your decision. Yes. Yes. She can pray. Let's pray. I just want to thank you for those that are planning to grow out of their zone, out of their family background, out of their school, out of their college, to go to a different culture, to go to a different setup, to go to a different environment. Lord, I just pray that they will experience you. Secondly, I pray that they will get your direction. And thirdly, Lord, I pray that you will help them to make the final decision that they need to make. And even for everyone in this room, we're just so grateful for what you taught us and what you continue to teach us. Be with us for the rest of the training and for the rest of the conference. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you.